It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to the Go Birds Pod, a Radio.com podcast about your beloved birds. Here we are. It is episode four of the Inside the Birds podcast. Adam Kaplan, Billy Osborne, me, Jeff Mosher, back just a few days before a day we have waited for a long time. The season opener. Thursday night, Eagles-Falcons, a rematch of the divisional round NFC here at the Link in January, a 15-10 Eagles win. We are going to break that game down and break this game down and talk about everything that's happened since, who's starting, what to look for. We got Billy Osborne here who played for the Eagles, for Pitt, uh, for Sports Star. He's going to break down every scheme that we can. Adam Kaplan's got a lot of great insider information. And guys, before we start, I've neglected to do this and I want to do it now. You can find Adam Kaplan on Twitter at Kaplan NFL. You can find Billy Osborne on Twitter at Ozzy underscore football and myself at Jeff Mosher NFL. And I'd like to say real quickly, I'm proud to announce, I'm going to be starting now covering the Eagles on my own for uh, the Patreon website, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com. You search my name, Jeff Mosher, and you will find that I will start covering the Eagles this year, beat reporter style, and it is a paid subscriber model. It'll be $2 a month, which I think something like seven cents a day. And I'm looking forward to doing it. Writing so a lot Derek of di- Bodner's doing who covers the Sixers. Derek did that just, for uh, did the Sixers before yeah. the Athletic hired yeah. him, and uh, go. I'm going to focus a lot on scheme, a lot yeah. on you know things that go on behind the scenes, a lot yeah. of stuff that you're not getting from every outlet, and uh, it'll be two dollars a month, and I'm going to donate ten percent. I'm sorry, five percent or ten dollars for every hundred subscribers okay. to the Wounded Warrior Foundation. Good for you, man. So everybody, go Good. find me, and I'll, I'll announce it more on Twitter as we get going. But I want to talk about this game. It is a huge game. We know the stakes are involved. We know Nick Foles is starting quarterback. We know one thing here, guys, is that there have been some lineup changes, but this is basically basically the same Falcons team, a little bit different, that we saw here in January at the link lose a very close 15-10 game. All right, Jeff. So first of all, before we get into the lineup changes, which are more on the Eagles side than the Falcons side, I do want to thank the almost 10,000 listeners we had for our first show for great. Radio.com and 94W. IP. I'm, I'm blown Go away Birds. by that. The Go Birds Network and thank our boy Johnny B, John Barchard and Spike Eskin for their support and John for producing the show. He's been our saying here. He's been unbelievable. So he's we really man. thank him. 
Uh, we wouldn't be here without him, no question about it. Uh, there's nothing like being on the number one sports station, not only in this market, which is obvious, in the country. So we, we, we appreciate being here. So let, let, Falcons-wise, Jeff, you're correct. They have two offensive line changes. Uh, they're at guard. Andy, Andy Levitri, technically from the playoff game where mm-hmm. the Eagles won in the, the divisional round. Levitri was hurt. Uh, ben Garland started for him, but Levitri's back. Brandon Fusco starting over Wes Schweitzer defensively. Don Terry Poe, you remember him? The veteran sure. defensive tackle is pretty athletic. He's gone with in Carolina. The veteran Terrell McLean is starting. They have two new starting defensive ends. This is where the matchup gets interesting. If you remember last year, Tack McKinley was not ready to be a starter. He was a first-round pick out of UCLA. Vic Beasley was standing up at strong side linebacker. That didn't work. I talked to Dan Quinn, the, the head coach, about that during the owners' meetings. He said, you know what? He's way better, Vic Beasley, playing with his hand down at DN, so he's going to do that. And McKinley's going to start opposite him, so those are the changes. And Brooks Reed now, who had played strong side linebacker and started DN, he's now a backup, I think. So they are really good. I, I believe, guys, I believe this is one of the better defenses of the National Football League, and they're the only team, and we will get to injury, the injury report, they're the only team in the National Football League, the Falcons, that does not have a player on an injured reserve list. IR, reserve PUP, and reserve PUP. That is incredible. Oh, to be so healthy, huh? Yeah, it, yeah. It, for week one, right. Eagles have health envy, I'm sure. Bill, <laughs> we know that, <laughs> know Adam just brought up, there are, there are twin pass rushers, young guys and Vic Beasley and Ta- Tack McKinley. But for a scheme, they're fairly simple. Right? They play a lot of cover one, a lot of cover three. Dan Quinn brought over from Seattle. And there's a certain way to attack a scheme like that. You saw the Eagles be very successful last year with the RPOs, kind of hitting them across the middle. But you've got Des Trufant at one corner. You've got Alfred at the other corner. This is a really good secondary. Ricardo Allen and um, Keanu Neal are good safeties. How do you think the Eagles, knowing that they succeeded with RPOs last year, what do they got to do this time around to attack that defense. Well, uh, anything else you want to find out what your strengths are and then see how you can attack the other team's strengths and weaknesses uh, in, you know, in your scheming, and your game plan, and then put the personnel in. So it's all about matchups. And when you look at the matchup situation with the Eagles right now, they're a little thin at the wide receiver spot. So they don't have the normal guns that they were going to have like last year, so to speak. So you're going to see a lot more two tight end uh, situations. So that'll force the Falcons into more base defense. So you won't see as much nickel and dime from the defensive standpoint because the Eagles, that's an advantage for them. They're going to go too tight. And they have the situation where they can put them in, put their hand down, or they can flex them out. And also, when you have a guy like Sproles back there, he's a matchup nightmare. So he's too fast for like a guy like a corner and a, and a linebacker, and then he's, he's, he's a matchup for even the, the strong safety when they drop him down there. So the Eagles will do it with matchup and personnel. Well, the interesting thing you bring up is that they're going to play a lot of two tight end. And that's, A, because of the lack of bodies at receiver now. No Alshon Jeffrey, no Hollins, and then yet you know you have good players in Zach Ertz and your second-round pick, Dallas Goddard. But when I went back and looked, they were a far more superior running team last year out of 11 personnel with three wide receivers than they were out of 12 personnel with only two wide receivers and two tight ends. And now you've taken away Brent Selleck, who's retired, and put in a rookie like Dallas Goddard, who, listen, I think he looked really well in the preseason holding his own as an inline blocker. But this is a fast, physical front. Adam mentioned how good their defense is. This is like the big time now. Everything that the Eagles do starts with their run. At least last year, started with the ability to run the ball, whether it was Blunt, Ajayi, or Clement. If they're going to have to play a lot of two tight end, they're going to have to figure out a way to run the ball well out of those sets. And that means one of those tight ends is going to have to block. 
Absolutely. And the key is first down. What you want to do is you don't want to be in second and long situation or third and long situation where then the advantage goes to the defense. You want to keep them guessing. So you want to be second medium or third and medium so then your play calling can be running or pass. When you're in a situation where they know what you're doing, advantage defense. So I think the Eagles will see, you'll see a lot of base offense from them. What I mean by that is two tight ends. Two tight ends and single back. And a lot of times, again, look for it early. I talked to Mike Quick this week. He even said the same thing and reiterated because the Eagles do have that two tight end, but they're good two tight ends too. It's not like they're just throwing them out there. Mm-hmm. That's their advantage, and they're going to use that early on, especially with the Jay being a little bit banged up. They'll use that to their advantage from a pre- passing standpoint and also a throwing standpoint. Yeah, so, so the challenge now is, and Jeff brought it up, that Atlanta now has seen that Nick Foles really functions well when they run RPOs. So I wonder defensively, you know, how how do you defend that? How do you because you know they're going to do that? Because quite frankly, Nick was nothing. We saw with the zone read under Chip Kelly, the Eagles changed things up for Nick to make him comfortable. Because before they do did, did heavy RPO, Nick was struggled mightily. So I think that's what Jeff was asking defensively. How do you stop that or slow that down? Because it, it, it we know Nick's not going to run, but it's the reaction that the defense gives. So there's RPOs, and it was it was incredible. Like, why do they go for it every time? So, Bill, as a guy who's played both sides of the football, who coaches, by the way, yep. and who's watched so much tape and called pit football as you did the yep. college game. Yep. You're the perfect guy to talk about this. That's what we're trying to get at. What could Atlanta do to slow this down? It's really tough because RPO is designed to take advantage of what you're doing defensively and use it against you. So it's all about disguising. So what Cleveland can what Cleveland, what the Falcons can do on the opposite side is look at that and say, all right, we're going to try and scheme it a different way, but disguise it. And what you can do by disguising is you don't want to tip your hand of where you're lined up inside. So you want to look like maybe you're going zone. Or you're playing man. And then even in the zones part where you're talking about, you don't want to maybe show them that you're going cover three. Maybe you're thinking you're going to go zero or go cover one and then jump into a cover three. So that's really the key because the, the, the beauty of the RPO is to say, all right, guys, we're going to go to the line of scrimmage and we have two plays called. And based on what the defense is showing us, we're going to decide what we're going to do. And usually it's RPO, run, pass, option. You have a running play and a passing play called in that you know, in that huddle. And then when you go out there, based on what the defense is showing you, you say, I'm going to run it or pass it. So if you're a defense, it's all about disguising and then make sure you know your assignments. So Bill's saying, pre-snap, we're going to give you one look and post-snap, we're going to give you another look. Now, Jaws, Ron Jaworski, Doug Peterson, Brian Baldinger did a film session for, for NFL Films. And what Doug said, what, what I thought is interesting is, and it, it was very clear to me, Doug is so fearless. He doesn't care about going over everything that they did last season. He's like, if you think you have us figured out, we'll do something off of that play if you do one thing. So that was what Bill's talking about. If they figure it out, Doug's going to have something to counter that. That's basically what he said in that film session video. It's incredible because Bill, Bill's talking like a football coach. Right. I like he's. It's like he's almost thinking like the Falcons, this is what we have. And Doug's like, oh, you think you've got to figure out? This is the chess match. This is it's awesome, by the way. It's a great cat and mouse yeah, game awesome. between uh, yeah. not only two good coaches, but one who has been a renowned play caller on offense in Doug Peterson and another who is considered an excellent, and I think Dan Quinn has done an excellent yeah, job great. as the Falcons coach since taking the job a few years ago, especially as a defense. But So I'm gonna, I'll ask you this because both guys tend to be set in their ways, right? Coaches are stubborn. Dan is a big front four rush, just like Jim Schwartz play my cover three zone. And what Bill is basically saying is that some ways to beat 
an RPO is blitz a little more or throw in the element of surprise, play a little bit more man Disguise. than zone. Yeah. And that's not stuff that Dan Quinn would typically do. And so what Dan, I think, has mm. to do here is either say, I'm going to do something different because Nick Foles completed 70% of his passes against me last year, I think 11 of 13 in the second half, or he can also look and say, they only scored 15 points. Despite all the completions, despite everything, we were a Julio Jones fingertip catch away from winning that game. Maybe they don't change anything at all and just feel like they have to play a little bit incrementally better. I think Bill's onto it, though. I think you've got to do something because Nick Falls, to me, he couldn't function without the RPOs. He works so well off that. It's incredible. Uh, by the way, so when we talk about lineup changes, the Eagles have a lot of them. Yes. Uh, Mike Wallison for Torrey Smith, who's no longer there. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, I believe, will see a majority of... of Alshon Jeffrey snaps. Remember, he was an outside receiver before he got moved to the slot. You mentioned Brent Selleck out. He retired. Zach Ertz in as the primary starting tight end. Big V started for Jason Peters. Big V is now their sixth tackle or Maybe. sixth offensive lineman. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> should, Peters should be starting. Timmy Jernigan out. Haloti Nada in. Destiny uh-huh. Vallejo will back him up. Derek Barnin, Barnett in, I think, is a starter. Vinny Curry's gone in Tampa. Najal Bradham, he suspended Nate. Uh, Nate, Nate Gary's probably going to start outside there. Let's not forget. People forget about this. Who started in the middle at the Super Bowl? The middle linebacker? It, yes. was, uh, it was Nate Gary, wasn't it? Did no. For once now. Donnell oh, jo- Ellerby technically Ellerby, started. that's right. I forgot. Yeah. And Jordan Hicks is back. And Camus Grugier Hill should be starting at weak side for Kendrick. So they're technically, technically from the Super Bowl, eight cha- uh, actually nine changes. Nine changes. Compared to the Falcons, who have very little. It's incredible. Yeah. So let's... It, so. so we talked about the lot. We talked about the lineup changes. Injury wise, we know Carson Wentz will not play. We'll talk to Doctor David Chow, the former Chargers team doctor, about that. He has some great information. Jay Jai is going to play with his injured foot. Alshon Jeffrey's not playing. Uh, the players that I've spoken with thought he would miss three to four weeks. ESPN had a re- recent report that said maybe he's ready for week three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Collins, as I reported on our show three got sh- like a month ago, he had sports hernia surgery. He's not playing this week. Uh, unfortunately, he had a setback, as Doug Peterson said, and this one hurts. Richard Rodgers, who actually had a good training camp, no one knew this, but he had a knee injury. Eagles, Eagles placed him on IR. He could return later in the season, but now um, Josh Perkins, Jeff, is the yeah. guy I think is going to fill in. I don't think everybody's aware of this because Josh Perkins was not a guy who was an Eagle until the offseason when they signed him to a free deal. He made the team as the third tight end with Richard Rodgers on being on IR. He's been in the league two years, hasn't played any games, has only been on practice squad. Guess which team he has spent his first two years on the practice squad with? A team in red that the Eagles are playing? Yes, the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. So you got to wonder if there was a little bit of an intel gathering. I mean, because we all thought, I mean, a lot of people felt that Billy Brown was going to be a guy who they brought here and was going to develop and could be that third tight end, but they went with Josh Perkins. Now, they did, I think, bring back Billy Brown anyway. On the practice, practice squad, squad, maybe? Okay. If I'm not mistaken. So yeah. either way, they can still kind of groom both. But it is interesting that they kept Perkins up, who has experience with that Atlanta Falcons roster. And we'll see if he's active. I, it's weird. I don't think I've ever seen a team go into a game with only two it's hard active to, tight ends. Yeah. It's hard, But right? there's a big yeah, drop-off after Ertz and remember that, but rem- And plus, I, Bill's right. My first thought on this matchup is go to tight ends. You, you're light at receiver. That's what Bill was talking about. But the thing is, and uh, talking to one source with the Eagles once Goddard understood the blocking techniques because he rarely blocked South Dakota State really not has to do it at all he got better week after week blocking where they felt so comfortable having him on the field that I I, I think not just this game guys I think he's going to play a lot more than rookie tight ends mm-hmm. and he's a monster in the red zone he's bigger physically than Ertz 
So I think Dallas Goddard, I know people question, why would they spend a second-round pick on a tight end? They are on to something with these two tight ends who are both pass catchers. We haven't seen this in a long time. Well, I did speak to a couple of teams that had Goddard with a first-round grade on him. So it was worth, from a value standpoint, the trade-up. But one thing that stuck out to me is that now that Darren Sproles is healthy, mm-hmm. and you saying that, the, and I agree, and so does Adam, that you're apt to see a lot more two tight end formations yep. from the Eagles to keep the Falcons coming out in base defense, right? Absolutely. So my thought is, I would love at one point, I don't know if you can do it early, but you know, you have to lull the Falcons into seeing something first, but at one point you come out with your two tight end formation and Darren Sproles as your lead back, and then you run the ball, try to get three or four yards, then you, bam, you go hurry up immediately, and now you have five weapons, mismatch weapons, against a base defense that's going to have mostly linebackers and fewer corners, and then you can take Goddard if you want and flex him out. You can have empty backfield if you put Sproles there in the slot and have five receivers, and you're all you're matching them against linebackers, and you should win that matchup every time, and if you're going no huddle, they can't substitute. That's exactly right, and this this league is about matchups, and how you take advantage of matchup, and how you expose matchups, and because you have some versatility with the Eagles tight end, blocking, passing, they're too big for a strong safety, and they're too fast for a linebacker. So you have matchup. If they're going to go running game, they can get down there, and now because they're not bringing an extra pass rush or a big guy up front, and they're going base, that's an advantage because their size is going to be able to take the strong safety or the free safety they're match up with and be able to run them and take them where they want to. So again, the RPO, when you see an RPO, it's a run or, you know, it's either run off tackle or the quarterback keeps it and then he goes out on the outside. So he's basically optioning off the end. All right. So there's your two runs right there. Your pass play is usually your slant or your hitch or your fade route, depending on where the corner is. Now, like you guys said, if you go motion, you're going to be able to expose. So if they disguise, you go motion to Mm -hmm. see if they're going man or zone and what type of zone. They have to eventually commit to something when you put a man in motion. Then you can just replace them. Now, instead of running that little slant route, you take our guy Sproles, who's a matchup nightmare, and you either bubble him or you run a little out and what you call a wheel route up to sideline. As they run the slant, you run the wheel route right behind him and you hit a home run. And Sproles does that time and time again, especially to the short side of the field. So those RPOs, and Foles loves them, that's the reason why. Because whatever you show me defensively, I have an answer for you. This, is, this game is about pace. I mean, uh, we, we know Foles operates best under a quicker tempo. And when you bring RPOs into it, and when you bring no huddle and just you know put the put the foot to the pedal, it, it takes away the thinking a little bit, and it's more instinctive. And as we saw, that really brings out like a different person in Nick Foles. It just makes him naturally more instinctive and more aggressive. He works off of it. He needs that rhythm. He, he as a drop pure drop back passer in a conventional offense, it doesn't work for him. He, I, I think you're right, Jeff. You know, it's interesting these matchups, and I'll tell you what. This is where things have changed now because historically the Eagles did not have a good secondary in terms of at cornerback. Mm-hmm. They're deep, and the Falcons, guys, they could spread it out. Now, Steve Sarkeesian, who's the OC, is under tremendous fire. Uh, Matt Ryan dropped 18 touchdowns uh, from the season before when he was MVP. So the Eagles can match up with him. So so how do we see the Eagles attacking uh, that that secondary? We talked about falls in the RPOs, but excuse me, uh, Falcons offense versus the Eagles secondary, which is deep. There are changes here. Jernigan's not going to play. Michael Bennett, guys. Michael Bennett gives them something in nickel to slide inside, right? Yeah. Yeah, I heard he's playing some interesting music. How do you see the matchup? I think it's fascinating to see, first off, who, when they come out first snap of the game, who are the starting defensive ends? Because 
I was under the impression for a long time it was going to be Derek Barnett because it's about time, you know, and it's going to be Brandon Graham. I spoke to Michael Bennett, you know, earlier in training camp, and I said, do you care who starts? And he said, well, I'm not going to make a fuss about it, but I sure do care. And I said, well, you know, you're joining a team that's pretty deep at the end. And he said, well, you know, I've made the Pro Bowl every year the last three years. So I'm very intrigued to see who starts at defensive end. And by, and by the way, uh-huh. Jeff, he's the only defensive player to play in the National Football League to play every snap last season. Every snap. With a torn plantar fascia. I don't know how he did. The guy's tough. He's a beast. He's yeah, an animal. He is a beast. And again, it is all matchups. And that's one of the advantage of the Eagles have, which is they can rotate a lot of guys up front. And that's a key. And the other thing is they get them to buy into it. They understand that they're fresh. And in the fourth quarter, you don't see guys that are, you know, bent over and a lot of times that's to the Eagles advantage too because their offensive line has been pounding on, pounding on and next thing you know you bring a guy that's fresh and come off the edge and pass rush or obviously take his gap responsibility so uh, I think Who would the- you start? Who, If you were Jim Schwartz who would you start? And, and listen I get that it doesn't matter what matters as you're saying Bill is that everybody's going to play an even amount of snaps just like last year but who would you start? I would start if I had a, if you're just the end spot I would go Graham and Bennett. Graham and Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett on so the you, outside. So you would make Derek Barnett, and to be devil's advocate here, your number one pick from two years ago, 14th overall, yep. who had a very fine rookie year, yep. you're going to continue to bring him off the bench as a pass rusher. Well, you know, it's it's basically, in a, I know what you're saying, but uh-huh. in the Eagles defense, it's just saying you started for that first play, yeah. but the way they do it at the end, of, like if you look at the end of the quarter, end of the half, their snaps are almost equal. And plus, so, again, Bennett I agree and, and with Nickel, you, by Bennett the way. goes inside. Right, Be- Bennett goes same. inside Nickel. Nada goes off the field. You've got Cox, Graham. You could almost go with a NASCAR package with, with, with Cox. Yep. To me, where they're going to get these Eagles defensively is at linebacker. And this is where Kyle Shanahan, the drop-off from Shanahan to Sark. Mm-hmm. Sark has got to do a better job of talking Attacking to defensive the coaches. The thing that shocked them when they'd watch tape is Tevin Coleman's exclusion, not inclusion, in the offense last season. This guy's a weapon. Mm-hmm. Bill was talking about Sproles. Linebackers can't cover him. Tevin Coleman is 6-1 and runs in the 4-4s. Get this guy out in space, he'll kill those Eagles linebackers. Now right. Hicks is back. Now Hicks is a real good cover guy, but you've got two inexperienced linebackers on the outside. That, to me, is where you're going to make this matchup. I think the Eagles will be fine against the run. I'm not worried about Jernigan not being there. And they're going with Vallejo and Hector. Bruce Hector, who made the team as an undrafted free agent. Both their backups are undrafted free agents, by right. the way. He'll be yeah. inactive, I would think, with Vallejo well, they could and, play, and okay. Hulnata really. So you think they'll top. play three defensive tackles? Yeah, I say. think so. Okay. For this, okay. for this, for the purposes of this game. So that is the matchup where I think the Falcons will win. And by the way, the over-under for this game is 46 and a half. This game, barring turnover, should be way under. Um, I would disagree. I really? think it's going to be a higher scoring game for what you just mentioned. I think the Eagles defense will be a little bit more vulnerable than it was at the end of last year. They're going to have to play in my, my they're going to have to play a lot of dime. Even nickel is a little bit of a risk for them because that puts Jordan Hicks who's fine on the field but either you I guess you're putting Camus Graduate Hill in there as your next best linebacker. That could be a day, as you just mentioned, that's a person that you would want to attack if you're on the other team. And by the or way, you could move Julio into right, the slot so and try to get a mismatch there. Here's why you're on target here in, in that Calvin Ridley, their first round pick out of Ohio State, is going to play Alabama, right? Yeah, he's. And what'll happen is when he comes in the game, Muhammad Sanu will move inside. Mm-hmm. You've got Julio as a monster out wide, and Austin Hooper has had a very, he's a tight end out of Stanford, a third year player. He's had a, he had a good preseason. Mm hmm. And then you put Coleman on the field, 
Who are you going to cover, man? Bill, you were a coach. How do you handle that? It's very difficult. And the bottom line is, if you're the Falcons, you want to be able to dictate the, the, the you know, you said it earlier, you want to dictate the pace. And the only way you dictate the pace is if you get in winnable down and distance situations. And I'm not talking second and long or third and long. You got to win on first down. So if you're the Falcons, you got to say, you know, they have to be able to run the ball because if the NFL, if you get one dimensional, it's over because they'll bring in these packages and you have no chance. They'll put seven, eight men in the box and they'll dare you to throw the football. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, as we just said, the Eagles defense, their their strength is up front, followed by their secondary, followed by the linebacking core. The Falcons know that. They're going to figure out a way or try and figure out a way to attack those linebackers, either with running between the tackles or trying to bounce it outside or in the running game to where you can match them up and say, okay, we bring in three or four receivers. What are you going to do? The Eagles probably will go dime. Yeah. And that's that's to their advantage too because they're going to try and take those linebackers who aren't very good or less, less I guess you could say, less uh, talented covering <laughs> than the outside guys. Now, the, the matchup in that regard that really intrigues me the most, and I think for everybody, is seeing Sidney Jones on the field. It seems like he will start off and play the inside slot corner, right? And that Jalen Mills and Darby will be on the outside. If they're playing a lot of dime, and if I'm the Falcons, as good as Sidney Jones is supposed to be, he's still the guy you want to test. You want to find out if he's good. You've got two, maybe even three receivers with Julio Jones, with Sanu and Ridley. To, you maybe can be able to throw on the uh, throw inside, on a few packages and see what you can get. If you can get last last game, I think in the playoffs, they were able to get Julio in the slot matched up against Malcolm Jenkins, and Julio got him for a twenty-something yard burn. That's Malcolm Jenkins. So if I'm Sarkeesian, I'm going to go after Sidney Jones until Sidney proves to me that he's really that first round pick. Right, and he's this is a new position. Teams are not scout him as a slot corner, and then Russell Douglas will be their fourth corner and dime. He'll be the fourth corner. Uh, you remember they go with they go with big nickel with Corey Graham who did a great job in that role. Man, right. good job by Jim Schwartz schematically. The matchups are great here, guys. I, I this That's is why a tight I think game. there's going to be points yeah. scored though. Really? I, it'll be a close. So, okay. I, listen, it's also going to be a lot warmer. Okay, you know, yeah, I yeah. think the uh, we're not taking into account this will be the first week of how they're officiating these helmet leading you know initiating contact penalties. I think there will be poorer tackling and because of these penalties. And you'll see some guys be able to break some plays. So I, do, I think it's not going to be, you know, fifty-one to forty. But I'm looking at both teams at least scoring twenty. It's points. interesting you say that because I noticed on Twitter Charles Davis, who who calls games for sure. Fox, is a car analyst. I know Charles real well, and he had a great point on Twitter. He goes, "Look, I guess he's just based on a tape study. He thinks receivers early on, Jeff. This is what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Are going to have an advantage because guys aren't still not sure yet. This is new for them. Now the Falcons go with the rugby tackling. They've Seahawks, rugby tackling. I Correct. talked to the Chargers. They don't have a problem with this. But some teams may. I don't know if the Falcons will. I don't know if the Eagles will, but I think it's something to keep an eye on when we watch these 16 games in week one. Yeah, you're think right. About how big and physical Julio Jones is. It yeah, would be nice to have Alshon Jeffrey right, for how the you gonna same hit, reason. Right, right. Right. Are you going to be able to wrap up? Are you going to stick your head down? Hopefully exactly. no, one, no one gets illegally penalized here. But this to me, guys, I don't know about you guys, but this is a tight game to me. Uh, it could go either way. This is, and you saw what happened, as Jeff said. It came down to one play in the last game. Well, now hold on now, because you know this podcast is not going to end without all three of us giving our. Game oh, no, I didn't get my pick. Okay. I'm just making sure you weren't getting. I'm just that. saying it's a tight game. <laughs> well, you know, listen, you're, you're exactly right, and and the key is again his matchup. You look at Julio Jones. If he gets, he's a matchup against great 
cover corners in the National Football League. Okay, so when you get anybody else in there, it's definitely an advantage to that offense. And Sarkeesian, I think their offense is better than they faced the last time the Eagles played the Falcons. I think in terms of schematically, it's you know you're going to say it's the same, but I think from a personnel standpoint, they're better. And it's up to Sarkeesian to try and find these matchups. And as you said, when you get him in the slot and you get Julio Jones by himself and you can get him against man coverage, you got to figure out a way to get him to football. Bill, I talked to Charlie Weiss, the former Patriots offensive coordinator, and he and I did a satellite radio show together this weekend. He's a beaut. He made a great point to me, and he and I got in a little bit of an argument, but I... That's not surprising. He's a Jersey guy, you know. He made a great point, and now I learned, I learned something. He said, look, it's his second year. I guess it wasn't good for Sark last season. Sark had to run a lot of Kyle's offense. Now in year two, he's probably going to run more of his offense. And I talked to Austin Hooper in last year's training camp. Hooper said, look, he actually trimmed down the volume. But Charlie makes a great point. In year two, this should be more of Sark's offense. So it should be better because their offense and productivity was down majorly so in the red zone. And here's how you get matchups. Julio, who you mentioned, uh, Bill, is 6'2 and a half, 6'3". Ronald Darby is what five five eight five and a half, five. I think uh, be, no, you're right. You're right. He's listening to that, but on I think a good day, he might five, he nine, might be five, five, ten. five nine five ten. Yeah. So there's a size advantage there. It's Bill talked about this. This is a matchup game, and Sark's got to take his game to the next level. He's under tremendous pressure because to me, this is a Super Bowl team, one of six. I think he could potentially make it out of the NFC. One thing that concerned me on that level is that. And I brought this up before is that Jason Peters did not play at all in the in the in the preseason. And I've talked to a lot of offensive linemen about this. Trey Thomas and I were talking about it uh, a couple weeks ago. Former you know Pro Bowl left tackle for the Eagles for a long time. And he said the one position in the preseason that is very important for somebody for, to be played is offensive line. He said even more than quarterback, more than receiver, because the group needs to a- learn again how to act as one. Now, Peters missed all four games, and he's going up against a very fast physical front. And one thing the Falcons do, Bill, I'm sure you, you, you saw this, they run a lot of games up front, a lot of twists, a lot of stunts, a lot of three-man and two-man games. And when you just, in, that, in those situations, your communication with the next man is key. And even though Peters has been alongside them for quite a while, it's been a long time since he played a football game with them. And you worry about that kind of just, the cobwebs being knocked off right at the start in such a big game. It's so huge, and people don't realize because they just see big guys out there running around. There's so much communication pre-snap; it's unbelievable. And you're right. Mark May talked about this, and Mark May was, you know, he's an analyst and he's been, you know, played in the offensive line, played with one of the Hogs, won two Super Bowls. He talked about that same thing: five playing as one. And he, he you know, kind of looked at his hand. He goes, all five, and you got to play as a fist and play as one. They have to be in unison with the quarterback. And when you come up to that line of scrimmage. You have to be prepared. They don't just rush. They do stunts. They bring guys in. They edge block. They go on the outside. So there's so many things that are critical for the offensive line that have to be discussed in before the snap even happens. And a guy like Jason Peters is dead on. If you don't have that ability to do that, and that's where we talked about, you know, the big rugby player, it doesn't matter how big you are. If you can't see a stunt and you can't see it coming beforehand and then you can't pick it up, you can't play in the National Football League. So uh, that offensive line needs to make sure that they're ready to play or they're going to be exposed on the outside. I don't think sure. it's been talked about a lot. The um, the fact-finding mission this game might be about Jason Peters. I think when he got hurt against the Giants last year and towards ACL, there were a lot of people who felt, wow, how at that age is he going to be able to recover from this? But I feel like over the last month or two throughout training camp, people almost seem say it's a given he'll be fine. But he hasn't played any preseason games. 
and he really is coming back from his second major lower leg injury. You know, in what five or six years now, because he had the um, the two Achilles, Achilles tours yep. Yep. tears uh, all those years back. I mean, I would like to think that he's going to be the Jason Peters that we all expect. I don't know though. Well, we need him to be because Big V, as we talked about, he uh. he struggled here. And I think his confidence level is, is down. So if, Big time. Right, it's amazing how that happens. Yeah. And, and now what happens, it's like, you know, let's face it, uh, there's blood in the water. Mm-hmm. And when they see that from a defensive side and you have lost your, you know, your kind of your mojo or your confidence, they will attack and they will attack and they will attack until you pick it up. One thing we could also look for in the, when these matchups uh, come into fruition, because the Eagles only have five available receivers for the game. I don't know. DeAndre Carter may dress, but he's not going to be a factor, most likely. The Eagles, one thing they want to do from the offseason, their, their big mantra was, let's get more speed on this football team. They're not going to have Hollins out there, unfortunately, who can run. Uh, not that Jeffrey's a speed guy, but he's not He's not playing with his injury. So, so how much do you think Chelton Gibson gets in this game? That's where I'm he going would be here. The speed he element. is going to be, the, and we all know, we've talked about this before in the podcast, he had just an amazing turnaround, one of the biggest 180s I've seen, other than Aguilar's. Funny how that works. He's catching everything. He's a speed guy. You saw that unbelievable pass from Nate Sudfeld against the Patriots. Must have been 60 yards down the right sideline. Incredible. And I think that's what you're going to see this season. Even when Jeffrey gets back, he's going to be a change-up receiver. If they protect Nick and Doug feels confident in him and Doug's fearless as we know as a play caller, they're going downfield. And I know, Jeff, you talked about how the Falcons are good at corner. Uh, their dime corner is, pro- is probably not going to play. Bleedy Ray Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, the They've got to get him matched up. I don't know who it has to be. Because you you kind of know when he comes in as defensively what he does. He's a nine-route runner. Uh, he did show that he did also catch a beautiful play in the the, uh, the Patriot game where he went like this and then right. went like that. that was he also a had a play. nice touchdown against the Browns too, I believe. So he's an X factor here, so we'll see what happens in the game. So we talked about them playing a lot more two tight end packages. And when you play two tight ends, you bring that slot receiver off and you go to two wide receivers. So yep. the question is... Does Doug Peterson, in his two tight end formations, lean more on a outside combination of Nelson Aguilar and Mike Wallace, or does he go Shelton Gibson, Mike Wallace, and take Aguilar off the field? There's two ways to look at it. You don't want to take Aguilar off the field because right now he's your best wide receiver with Alshon Jeffrey out. The other way to look at it is there's no tape. There's not very little film outside of this preseason on Shelton Gibson. So when he's out or there... Or Mike Wallace. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least Mike Wallace is an eagle. But yeah, when yeah. Shelton Gibson's out there, he gives you the element of surprise from a I-don't-have-that-much-work-to-study-this-guy standpoint. Yeah, and that's true. And I think a lot of it's going to see is going to be dictated if the Eagles can get some running game going, then that's going to open up their passing because they're going to open up their play action. And I think to get deep, especially when you're going against zone... The way to get deep against the zone is play action because you want guys peeking in the backfield. Cover three is basically each guy has a third of the defense out there in the secondary. And you bring your strong safety down and he's in the running game. So he's got the flat. And you have the weak side linebacker, he's got the backside flat. So each corner has a third and then your free safety's got the middle. What you do is they sit about 8 to 10 yards, and, of course, they backpedal. It's tough to get behind those guys. They're backing Really so tough to get behind them. How you do it, again, is play action. And if you can get the running game going – then you're going to hear guys on the defense say, hey, guys, make sure you're active. Get up there and stop it because you don't want to bounce it outside. Well, next thing you know, a guy's kind of hesitating a little bit. And next thing you know, with their speed, they're behind him. Mm-hmm. So that's how you're going to open up and take the top off the defense by getting that play action. And it's key to get the running game going because if you get them one-dimensional, you're never going to get behind them. It's almost like a stage. You attack the run, then you attack the middle yep. when those guys start to cheat up a little bit. And then just when you catch them in the wrong element, put a little play action, maybe even a little trickery, 
which Doug did have to use against the Falcons on the way to winning a Super Bowl, and you get that, you know, you, you beat him over the top and you get that big play that Nick Foles is known for doing. Yeah, and a lot of times when you're talking about, and Adam said the nine route, that's true. You, you run a nine route, and a lot of times then when you run the nine route, you can a lot of times then kind of bend it in and make it look like it's a skinny post. And then mm-hmm. off that skinny post, the guy who's usually running that uh, up to post, he just comes behind the receiver, and next thing you know, you have him right up to sideline with the wheel route, and you make that corner make a decision. Am I going to jump the inside route on that skinny post, or am I going to stay over top worrying about the wheel route? And you just, Nick Foles has got to play him with his eyes. You could watch actually. What Bill's talking about, it's interesting. You can watch, uh, Doug Peterson does a, he does these um, tape study for the Eagles website and also for that game plan show and he does it with Ike Reese. I just saw the clip on Twitter. It's actually almost what Bill was talking about. It's the deep, the deep ball to Gibson from Nate Sudfeld. It was an unbelievable throw and the adjustment and Doug talked about how they teach the route. I, I It's so complicated. I don't want, I'll never get it right, but you want to learn something. Just, just the intricacies of route running. What Bill's talking about—it's brilliant stuff. And this film stuff is awesome. I, was, I love Bill's tutorial that. from episode two, right? Yeah, closing oh, the cushion well, and the we didn't, have, we didn't, and, uh, we didn't have the video though. <laughs> Bill showing how to come back from an ACL injury—that was great. Yeah, well, that was. It, you know, Adam's point. I love watching that, and I think I was listening uh, earlier. I think it was last week, and I was laughing because. Uh, our boys uh, Joe and John were talking about it on the morning sh- or in the afternoon show, and uh, John Ritchie was saying he watched the one play fifty three times. That's what I do. I, I love what I- what Adam was talking about. I'll sit there and I'll just replay the tape, replay the tape. Yeah, it's funny, like, Bill. How did that receiver get open? And I just keep replaying. I it. watched Jaws with uh, film with Jaws and Greg Cosell probably twelve or thirteen years. Jaws would take one play, and I really couldn't speak up because I was in his office. Right. He watched it twenty to thirty times. Because he's trying to figure out what they were trying to do. There's so many things that go into a play. What were they trying to do? What was the defense trying mm-hmm. to do? Yep. And how do they win the the adjustment? This is going to be a fun game because, guys, I, this is one of the hardest op- openers I think you could pick. I mean, this is really challenging. No doubt. Before we get to our picks, yeah. we are going to bring in Dr. David Chow. He is a former team physician for the San Diego Chargers. Did it for over 15 years. He's now in the media. He does a lot of medical Analysis. He goes by the Twitter account at ProFootballDoc. And Jeff, before we get to Doc, the thing about Doc that's amazing is when I just had heard of him through Twitter, mm-hmm. I was skeptical about his video analysis. I'm like, how can you possibly watch video without examining the player mm-hmm. or, or not really being able to give him a, a test on his knee, which is called the Lockman test? How could he do it? But his accuracy is so incredible. I'm like, I'm sold, man. This guy's <laughs> unbelievable. So Doc, good to hear from you. And uh Let's get to the Carson Wentz situation, as Jeff outlined. You wrote an article about Carson Wentz. Is he 100%? Is he not? And how could a player be 100%? So, Doc, welcome to our show, and how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I appreciate my dialogue with you, Adam, over, over the years. And, uh, and, and, and I like the uh, healthy dose, dose of skepticism. I make no bones about most of the time I'm sitting on my couch and, and looking at video. But think about this. When you go to the doctor's office and you say you hurt your knee, what's the first thing he asks you? How did you do it? How long has it been hurt? He's asking for a history and the mechanism. And in the case of an acute knee injury, let's say in football, that is the video. And so uh, that's kind of why that's uh, so germane. It's never 100%, but uh, I also study video every Monday morning after the Sunday games when I was with the San Diego Chargers. Doc, I remember the Eagles said that when Carson tore his ACL against the Rams that he tore it not entering the end zone, but kind of on that quick plant before he took off and ran. Was that something that watching video you were able to diagnose exactly what happened or, or the at least the genesis of the injury? Well, yeah. 
yes and no. I mean, uh, I, I could tell that it wasn't on the hit as he entered the end zone, as he dove for the end zone. You know, I actually didn't see the play live. It was, it was December, I remember it, and we were taking Christmas card pictures. My wife and the, and the family, they drugged me off to take Christmas card pictures. I ran back to try and look at video. And to this day, I have not seen actual video of where he injured the knee on the plant. I've only seen video a split second after that as he takes the next step and dives into the end zone. But where I said from day one I was worried about his LCL is as he continued to play, there was additional video to show that he had more than an ACL tear and the LCL was involved. And that's what I wrote on the San Diego Union Tribune that day. Doc, the other part of this injury and the rare IT ban uh, injury, give our listeners an idea of what that is and, and what the rehab's like. Well, that's part of the uh, poster lateral corner in the complex there. It's almost never, you know, you never say never, but it's almost never that the LCL tear is truly isolated. In other words, you just tear the LCL and nothing else. The IT band, the poster lateral corner, the popliteus, all the structures back there are are very rarely spared and just the LCL. So we talk about ACL and LCL, but uh, it, 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 it's uh, the whole, a whole constellation of injuries. So a lot of people, Doc, have brought up Adrian Peterson as a guy who had that kind of, or at least a similar kind of surgery, but was able to make it back in time for the opener and then also had the greatest year of his career. And of course, in Philadelphia, you'll see Eagles fans point to that and say, well, why can't Carson start now? What's the difference? So I'll leave that to you to explain the difference. Well, there are a lot of exceptions to the rule, and uh, Adrian Peterson is a great exception to the rule. And I hope, you know, Carson Wentz comes back quickly and Deshaun Watson this year and, and Dalvin Cook this year as well. But, but you know, you're not going to see three for three like that, and uh, it was an exception. What it speaks to is Adrian Peterson's transcendent talent. He just was that much better. In that same year, Jamal Charles for Kansas City coming off an ACL in a similar time frame, rushed for a career-high 1,500 yards. But we don't talk about him because of Adrian Peterson. Hmm. You know, Philip Rivers, obviously a different position, in 2008 had a surgery after the ASC championship game for his ACL, made it back to minicamp in 100 days, and started day one on training camp. I'd say that's an exception, but he's a quarterback, and so it didn't get as much publicity. To me, the biggest exception to the rule was Shannon McMillan, a 2003 Women's World Cup participant, who played, look it up, I, I put it on my Twitter timeline, four months in the Women's World Cup, offense and defense. She made the Women's World Cup for the USA team four months later. Four months, that that's is, incredible. That, that is totally an exception. And the other thing is you really can't compare Adrian Peterson to Carson Wentz because it's not the same injury. One's ACL, and I hear maybe... Uh, MCL involved, but MCL usually doesn't get surgery. ACL, LCL, ask any orthopedist, takes it into another whole constellation of injuries in terms of severity. All right, Doc, and we, we should follow everyone. Everyone needs to follow Doc at uh, Profitball Doc at, on Twitter. The, the Carson Wentz injury is interesting in that you know, Jeff and I were able to go to, to OTAs and training camp and see how well he was running. Couldn't believe it after like four months, he's running on the side. This is not. This is atypical of what you would have a player coming back from an ACL injury. But you had said in your article that no player is a hundred percent coming back from it, even in six or seven months. Explain what that means and why the Eagles say he's close when maybe he really isn't close. 
Well, first of all, let me say that I'm making no criticism at all about the Eagles, their medical staff, and how they've pushed him on rehab. I think they've done a fantastic job with it, mm-hmm. and they're to be commended. Also, let me say, I am not at all questioning Carson Wentz. If anything, I, you know, uh, he's a great athlete, and he's showing that, and he's worked hard, and he's done extremely well. And if anything, I would say he's ahead of where I expect him to be. He's done very well in rehab. What he's done in videos and how he runs and what he does is very impressive. However, I'm just pointing out two things. Medically, after this type of injury, it is impossible to be 100% right now. If you truly ask an athlete who's now out of competition, who, who isn't putting the good spin on things, it is medically impossible to be 100% this early from an isolated ACL, much less with an LCL. I mean, I do several hundred ACL uh, surgeries a year, uh, including many professional athletes, and it's just hard to be 100% right now this early on because no matter how great you are at rehab and how great of an athlete you are, it's very difficult to speed up true biology of healing. And that graft that gets put into your knee has to gradually, with what we call creeping substitution, become your own ligament. It's a dead piece of tissue that has to come alive, and that takes time. And so I'm not questioning, I mean, of course, lots of people have returned to play in addition to Adrian Peterson, short of the 18-month timeline. Most people do. But that is the medical timeline to get to 100% for an isolated ACL. So we're far well, from think, that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're so, we're not even at, at 12 months, obviously, a no, year. No, it's not we're even nine months yet. We're eight, eight, nine eight months. So yeah. do you expect his play to be impacted at all by not being 100% when he does get back on the field? Look, I'm not one to question Carson Wentz. He's proven to be a great athlete. But, you know, the, the fact that he can throw the ball 65 yards down the field doesn't mean anything to me. It means he's got a super strong arm. The fact that he can move the way he does is that, is that he's a great athlete. And on the, on the, the podcast that's pinned to my uh, timeline, about halfway through, I go through several videos that fans have pointed to, you know, before the Jets game and before the Browns preseason game, preseason pregame workouts, where they look at how great he's moving and, and uh, he's ready to go week one. At that point, I was saying, no, he's not ready. I have lots of evidence of that in addition to the video. And I break down the video, and, and in short, I mean, he looks great as he moves around. Look, he's more mobile than most quarterbacks. Uh, he's more mobile than my friend Phil Rivers is, who's, who's healthy right now. But he's still not Carson Wentz. He's still not a run-pass guy. If you look at the video, he still favors it, almost limps some. And as he's shuttling around, around cone drills and dropbacks, you can see the power in his right leg, and you don't see it in his left leg in the way that he steps. And uh, he often does not step into throws all the way with full weight transfer, uh, and he kind of crow hops a little bit. And on two of the throws in the video, he, he wrong foots the throw. He throws off his back foot. Now, Carson Wentz, being the great athlete he is, maybe can get away with that and maybe able to win games and play very well that way. I'm just pointing out that he's not 100% yet, and just because of the injury, uh, and to, to have realistic expectations. I'm really not hating on the Eagles or Carson Wentz. I'm just pointing out the medical fact that he has a ways to go in terms of biologically and also by video. Now, he may get to look like he's 100%, get rid of that hitch in a step in the next few weeks or so forth, but, you know, I, I don't know that he's 
going to make this uh, week two, week three return. I I mean, I hope he does. And if he does, I don't see how the Eagles can make him a run-pass guy the way that he was in his – would be MVP year before he got hurt last year. All right, Doc, give us the Cliff Notes version of when you recommend to a team, we don't have to talk about a specific player that you did, you evaluated or operated on for the Chargers, but when it comes to this particular player, and I want, I just want to get, give us an idea of how do you decide when a player should return to play? Because this is, this is based on what you just said, that to me is the question now. Whatever they... Doug Peterson says he's close. Now, you, you, we, people could debate what that means, but when he when he said when the docs say you know what he could play now, what goes into saying he's ready to go? Well, this is one of the fallacies, and thank you for asking the question. Let's say we say the magic number for a Carson Wentz, and I'm not involved in his care, and I haven't seen his MRI, and I haven't you know uh, done anything with Carson for full disclaimer. But let's say we say the target for return is ten months. And let's just, we're just picking that number randomly. It's not like at nine months and 29 days he can't. And at 10 months he can and he can do everything. Uh, Recovery and rehab is more a gradual sunrise than a a light switch. And uh, it ticks. Typically what happens in patients is, let's say at uh, nine months they're 80%. And at uh, 12 months, they're 90%. And at 18 months, they're 100%. It, it comes gradually, that that little bit. Now, admittedly, and I've said before, that 80% is a good week for a lot of NFL players because, you know, you, you kind of play dinged and hurt all the time. But in terms of when's that magic line, you have to look at many factors. You have to look at the injury itself to see if it's healed. You have to check the stability of his knee. You have to look at his muscles and how he can protect himself. There are functional tests that are performed in the training room through the athletic trainers and physical therapists, as well as a biodex machine and other quantifiable numbers of reaction time and speed and energy in terms of what he does. In addition, there's the eyeball test in terms of how he looks on the field and his mechanics and and everything. So it's usually a, it's not just a binary yes, no decision when it comes to medical. And what factors into that some is in terms of risk factor. So I've said to patients, and and I can talk about this because Philip Rivers had given me permission to, I said, look, uh, you want to come back this early from your ACL? You do have a, if you want to be as safe as possible on your knee, of course the answer is don't play football again, which everyone (laughs) says is ridiculous. Uh, But if you want to be as safe as possible returning to play football, you should wait 18 months. That's what the literature says. You should wait at least a year. There's still a slightly higher increased rate of retear if you're under a year. Now, nobody follows that, but I give my patients that choice and say, it's slightly higher retear rate right now. Do you want to have the risk? Part of it is wearing the brace to try and decrease that, et cetera. I'm really not trying to be negative. I'm not saying Carson Wentz won't be back this season. And by the way, I do think ultimately he has an excellent chance of being himself again, but that's probably not going to happen until late this season and potentially even 2019 before he feels like everyone feels like he's Superman Carson Wentz like he was before. But I do think he's, he's going to get there. But those are kind of the discussions that are had. And remember, even when the medical staff says he's cleared and ready to go, 
there's still two more components that has to happen before he plays. One is the athlete needs to want to play and think he's ready to play. That's not going to be a problem for Carson. He's going to want to get out there. And the third component is the team has to want him to play. In other words, the GM, ownership, and, and coach. And uh, and uh, Doug Peterson hinted at that, I believe, on Sunday through MMQB, saying, mm-hmm. you know, he's got to get the right reps and the other things and get back into football as well. I mean, take a look at the example of Adrian Peterson. Uh, sorry, uh, Aaron Rodgers, take the advantage of the example of Aaron Rodgers a couple of times over the last few years, where medically there was talk that he was ready, but the team decided to hold him back for A, A, because either they were out of the playoffs or they they were looking to the long term. And you've also heard a lot of comments, rightfully so, that the Eagles want to do right by Carson. And, you know, Doug Peterson and, and, and Carson Wentz are married together. They came in together. He was his first draft pick. And that you know, he doesn't want to do anything to jeopardize anything in the long term. So I think that's going to factor in, too, as in terms of the return. That's why I'm not being pessimistic. and It may be the, 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 the better thing, but I wouldn't expect him in the next week or two. I could be wrong. Doc, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Great insight, great candor, and um, hopefully you'll come back on the Inside the Birds co- podcast, although we don't root for anybody to get injured, but uh, we really do hope to have you, have you back sometime in the future. <laughs> I'm with you. What I used to tell my GM, who used to get mad at me whenever I would go up to his office on Monday and, you know, tell him about the injuries. I would tell him, look, I'm Paul Revere. I'm not the British. (laughs) That's right. You're just the messenger. We won't shoot you. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Doc. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That was Dr. David Chow. He was a head physician for the San Diego Chargers for almost 20 years. He's now in the media. He does a lot on Twitter. You can find him at ProFootballDoc on Twitter. And, of course, Edward has his own podcast, and he writes for the San Diego Union Tribune. He does. He's doing great. A his lot information, of His accuracy is incredible, and he made it very clear here. Look, 100%. Players are never 100%. They're mm-hmm. 80, they're 70, and Doc outlined, and you can play it back if you want. It's the beauty of these podcasts. He explained what goes into the retesting. There's certain things you do on a daily basis or weekly basis. The one thing he didn't say is you could rescan mm-hmm. uh, the knee to see where the knee is. But, it, it and I, I have to agree with Doc. I mean, it, it would surprise me if Carson plays over the next two weeks. Star of the game for the Eagles has to be? Nick Foles. Bill? I was going to say the same thing, but if you're going to say, uh, then it has to be one of the running games. I think they have to get the running game going. So, Ajay Ajayu or Corey Clemens. And then also, Ajay, don't forget about huh? Strolls. Okay. All right, I'm going to go with Fletcher Cox, and I think a big right. part of making the Falcons one-dimensional is stopping the run game. I think they're going to try to establish the run, as Sark has done before, and without Timmy Jernigan next to him, the impetus is on Fletcher Cox to be as dominant as ever in the run game, and then when they go to the NASCAR, to be all over that quarterback's back. Hmm. And all let right. me just throw something out to both of you guys as we get ready for our picks. You know, We haven't really talked about it too much, but this game is so close Adam's talking about it's one of the uh, these interesting games where you really can't pick it. We can't figure out if it's going to be a high-scoring game or a low-scoring game. Well, guys, guess what? There's that third element. It's the special teams. And that's what we have to think about as we're picking our picks. Who has the better special teams? Because it might come down to that in this game, whether it's field position, then the special teams plays a huge part of that, whether it's punting or the coverage. Or it comes down to a last-minute field goal. So special teams are going to play, I think, a big part in this today's ball. Well, if Jake Elliott has to make a kick for the game on the line from 20 yards or in, I say Incredible. bad job by the by, you know too bad for the Eagles. Anything after it. that, I'm, uh, he's so, all good. What Jeff's referring to is <laughs> Elliott's got this incredible luck or bad luck, depending on you how you look at it. 
Long kicks, he's great. Short kicks, he's not. It's just it's supposed to be the exact opposite. Yeah. Extra points, a little shaky. Yeah, too. I don't, I don't <laughs> get it. Crazy. But man, he did hit some big kicks last. He did, he did. All right, let's get to the prediction time, Adam. Be, well, f- Eagle fans should be happy because every time I pick against the Eagles, I'm wrong. Uh, I'm going to pick against them. I've got a 20 to 17 Falcons. The last two games I picked, mm-hmm. the Super Bowl game and the NFC Championship game, I got wrong. I picked the other side, so I'm doing it again. I'm picking the Falcons, 20 to 17. Billy, I am going to go and I'm uh, thinking about this. I I like the Eagles here, and I like them 34 to 17. Wow, wow. 34 17. That's big, yep. huge. Man, All right. <laughs> Nick Foles must be playing well. Vegas yes, and I think special teams are going to have a play. Okay. Yeah, seriously, take the over. All right, I am going to pick the Eagles as well. A little bit different. I'm going to go 27 points for the Eagles, and I think the Falcons get 20. 27 20. It's a reasonable number. Oh, it goes technically over. Someone said to me on the radio it was 46 and a half. So okay. tech, if that's correct. Maybe I'll say 23. 27 <laughs> 23. I'm going to change that. But you're picking that. the Eagles. So, yeah, so we've got two Eagles, Eagles picks, over the Falcons. 27 23. All right. All right. And, that's going to be. Let's not mistake it. Adam still wants the Eagles to win. So we don't want to hear no, any bad things. No, no. Adam's as down the middle as it gets. Everybody knows about that. I try to be that too. No matter what information I put out, if I put a lot of Raiders information out, people think I'm a Raiders fan. If it's Eagles, I'm a Eagles fan. I don't care who wins. I don't matter Such is the life of us journalists. But we, we put out information and we, we want people to be interested. And uh, again, thank you to the 10,000 people. over yeah, yeah. Technically over 10,000 people listen to our first, podca- our, our, our first podcast. And we did it Facebook Live. We'll do Facebook Live the next time. It was awesome. Thanks, guys.